Good morning, good morning, and Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Good morning. Ah, there we go. Now we've got audio happening. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good morning. It is so good to see all of you. Good morning. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good seeing This morning, we are, we're actually, we're simulcasting today on the Telegram channel as well on uh, the World Assembly of Yahweh. It's simulcasting, which is kind of fun. And I try to act like I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I don't. I mean, so you talk about iffy, uh, but little by little, we're getting there and um, things are moving ahead quite well. And so this fellowship, of course, is uh, a wonderful thing for me. And I'm so glad that you guys are here and that we can actually do this. We've got, of course, the Torah portion to discuss this morning, and we're going to be discussing other things after that. And uh, people who would like to contribute to the Torah portion and its understanding uh, are welcome to as we get along into it, okay? Let me just uh, get things going here. There's been, now, I have to tell you that um, one thing that has recently happened like it happened yesterday, is that uh, Jessica Nock has left this ministry and uh, she left on the insistence of her husband, Shane. And so uh, well, that's going to change things a little bit, but um, we're getting, we've also had some other changes. Sefer Group has been looking at what we've been doing on Thursday nights and we're going to be launching a kind of a new format that's going to take place on Thursdays, which is going to be a Q&A. It's going to be a Q&A session. And instead of my uh, going through a bunch of stuff, we're going to start answering questions that we should have been doing a long time ago. And now we're going to be doing it live for subscribers. And I guess there's a methodology we can use to figure this out. It gets too complex, but we're not there yet for sure. But we do want to uh, offer a Q&A program on Thursday nights. So this will give us a chance to, uh, it's kind of like an alternative to the dig. We'll be able to go in and look at some questions and figure out what it is that we're doing and try to get some answers to pressing questions about scripture and particularly about where we are. We had an absolutely uh, great discussion last night at the live fellowship uh, talking about some things that were uh, you know, we were basically we were talking about the three ages found in scripture and some of the things that are being discovered now. And of course, uh, you know, my Thursday night program talking about the unique aspects of Sefer. It's funny how, you know, I've known these things all along because we're the ones who prepared the unique aspects in the Sefer, but I've been kind of afraid, I guess, to disclose them. And there was something about the trip to South Africa that really helped me get over a lot of these fears and be able to present some of these things because I've never wanted to rail on anybody else's scripture. But I do know that there's some real intrinsic problems with most of the English Bibles that I didn't know until we got to looking at the translations. And we find out that with some of the Bibles, there are, I mean, you've got some real difficulty when you can't link Messiah to the line of David, then you have a real question. You know, you've got a real question. Now, somebody 
uh, proposed a question in the uh, in the way chat, talking about whether or not uh, the Mashiach was a sacrifice rather than the Passover lamb. Now, I do think even though the term sacrifice may be used from time to time in the Tanakh about the Passover lamb, it really doesn't constitute a sacrifice because the Passover lamb was never used uh, by the priest. In other words, you didn't take the lamb to the priest to have him sacrifice the lamb. According to Moshe's Torah and according to the standards of Pesach, you are supposed to be sacrificing the lamb yourself in your own house. And it's not at the temple, it's not on the altar, and it's not done for an atonement of sin, but rather is done in observance of the Pesach and that the blood of the lamb would be placed on your doorpost to cause death to pass over. That's one of the most important aspects of the Passover. Now, it's also interesting that the covenant, the, the Brit Hadashah, which is a covenant in which I believe all of us are in, this covenant was given via the bread and the cup. It was not given uh, on the blood on the cross, but rather it was the bread and the cup. And the bread and the cup uh, is an expression of our covenant, of our joining the covenant between Yahweh and Yahusha, a covenant of unity. And basically we're the third party recipients of that covenant that we take of the covenant of the 10 Devarim and that we would live and have life in them. But with that being said, the blood shed on the cross nonetheless was a complete propitiation for sin, for the sins of mankind. Because although Yah never intended animal sacrifice, I mean, that's what it said in Jeremiah 7, 21. If you want to sacrifice a bull, go sacrifice a bull, eat the flesh. But I never called you to do those things when I brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim. Because at all time, the propitiation for the sins of the blood would be done by the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb, whose blood when shed was a complete propitiation. You know, when he shed the blood from his head, from the crown of thorns, this is propitiation for the sins of the mind. When his right hand was pierced, this was propitiation for the sins, the intentional sins of the right hand. When his left hand was pierced, it was propitiation for the sinister deeds that are done behind people's back. When the right foot was pierced, this is propitiation for the intentional walk into sin. When the left foot was pierced, this is propitiation for the negligent sins that you do. When the spear was plunged into his heart, this is propitiation for the sins of the heart. So you see that this propitiation when the letting of the blood of Mashiach was anticipated in Leviticus 17.11. He and I have given it to you on the altar as propitiation, as atonement for your sins. Not the sins of a ram, not the sins of a goat, but, but, these, but the blood shed of Mashiach, who, by the way, in the shedding of his blood in his initial circumcision, opened the door for the uncircumcised to have a pathway to heaven. And this is why when, when we begin to understand these things, the mystery is great in the New Testament. It's great in the New Testament. And people who think that there is no mystery are simply incorrect. 
Uh, I've heard people say there's no mysteries in the New Testament. Well, there most assuredly are. In fact, the word mysterion appears 22 times in the New Testament. 22 times. Talking about the mystery of iniquity and so on. And we see also that the mystery of the name, the mystery of the oath called Beka, is described in Enoch 69. And the mystery of that oath contains the mystery of his name. And what at that time was the secret name of the son of Adam, the Ben Adam. And this is, of course, uh, these kinds of understandings are difficult for people who have not had this revealed to them by the Ruach HaKodesh. It's very hard to understand these mysteries or the Beka or what happened, what's going on with Yah. Because Yah has blessed us with a mystery and he's blessed us with a salvation story that is really quite incredible. You know, we were talking last night about the Aleph and the Tav and the Aleph and the Tav as a prefix have an interesting meaning because the Aleph as a prefix means I will be. And the Tav as a prefix means you shall. So in the commandment, thou shalt not kill, you see the word lo ta Lo, not, tab, you shall. So the lo and the tab prefix together equal you shall not, ratsak, kill. So we begin to see that there is a huge mystery contained there. Now, when you look at the name Adam, we know that Dalit Mem in the Ivrit is the word dam, meaning blood. The Aleph as a prefix is stating, I will be blood. This is the name that uh, is mankind. I will be blood. And we're told in 1711 that the soul of the flesh is in the blood. He and I have given it to you on the altar as atonement for your sin. He and I have given it to you as atonement for your sin. Because his blood in your soul is atonement. Now, this is the proper construction, in my opinion, of Leviticus 17.11. And as a consequence, we see that the mystery of the blood, some aspect of creation that is really quite miraculous, but the mystery of the blood is where our souls are contained for the time being. And this blood is a creation of Yah. And he has given it to us. And as a result, he in his mystery, this uh, atonement is made. This propitiation is made. Not in our understanding. And so as a consequence, this is what we see. So these are very good discussions about the Passover lamb, especially as we've just come through Passover. And as we head in the counting of the Omer, to Shavuot. And Shavuot, of course, was the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Ten Commandments, or as they, as they speak it in Hebrew, the Devarim. And of course, when we talk about the commandments, we're not talking about commandments like thou shalt or thou shalt not, but rather precepts, because the commands are actually called Tzav, Tzav, T-A-S-V, Tzav. 
And sav means in its first instance, precepts. So the commandments are really 10 great understandings, 10 great understandings. And we can see that with these 10 great understandings, we're called into life and life more abundantly. And this is why Mashiach says to us, come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and I will bring rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is the nature of the faith, an easy burden, a light yoke. Now compare that to the yoke that we take upon ourselves by other people, or sometimes the yoke that is forced upon us, a yoke that is thrown over our shoulders by our government or by someone else's government. That yoke is not light. That yoke is not easy. It's burdensome. It's difficult. And some people carry a much heavier yoke than others, depending on where you live. And of course, I, I don't think most people understand in the United States the heaviness of the yoke under which we live. We live under a grievous yoke, very heavy yoke, a yoke of enslavement and entrapment, a yoke that is unyielding, a yoke that assaults you every single day. You wake up in the morning, your government's at war with you. It's assaulting you. It's telling you what to think. It's threatening you. There's a sword placed over your neck at all material times. Conform or we will cancel you. <clears throat> Conform or we will cancel you. This is the story we get. This is the story our children get from the social networks. This is the story we get nonstop. In fact, when you look at what happened to uh, Tucker Carlson this last week, he was canceled by the mainstream media. And that canceling was a message to the rest of the American public. Step out of line and we cancel you too. If we can cancel him, we can cancel you as well. And so we live under a very burdensome yoke and a very heavy burden, not under Mashiach's will. This is why we are called to come out of Babylon, come out of Babylon. Yes, she's sharing her legs. And so for us to come out of Babylon requires us to come under a different yoke and a different burden. And the more we can come under the yoke of Mashiach, the lighter the burden of the government is, the more peculiar we become as a called out people, the lighter the burden is. But as we're being called out, and I think this is the great difficulty in our community, as we're being called out, we're looking and saying, okay, that narrative was false. This narrative was false. I never got the whole truth here. That was incorrect. And these people have fallen down. So when I'm being called out, what should I be called into? And there are many, many voices in the wilderness calling to you. You should believe this. You should believe that. You should believe the other thing. 
And many of the teachers that are calling out in the wilderness are good people. They're good people who have good ideas and who want to express those ideas. But some of those ideas have taken many of the brothers and sisters out of the Christian church and right into Judaism. And this is described in the gospel when Mashiach says to them, you travel to the ends of the earth to proselytize one person. And when you convert him, you make him twice the son of Satan that you are. We cannot be called into Judaism. And you need to be very well forewarned that the Talmud, it may be intelligent discussion, but it is not for you. The Mishnah, which is the duplicate law, it may be pragmatically very effective, but it, it's not for you. The Gemara, the rabbinical opinion, it may be intelligent discussion, but it is not revealed discussion. It is rationalism that is done without a belief in Mashiach. And as a consequence, it is blind. The Quran. The Quran may be revealed discussion, but it is not for you because it does not have revealed discussion. And these are why these things become very, very important that we look to the whole of scripture to be our guide. Do not be caught in a trap that elevates Moshe to your savior. Moshe brought forth the rules in the wilderness. Most of these are foundational to our understanding of modern law. But some of them were not ordained of Yah, even though Moshe claimed they were. He was building a set of rules for the wilderness. And the ones that had ambiguity in them and difficulty in them, Mashiach felt the need to clarify and did clarify them, such as the Shabbat. Man was not made a slave to the Shabbat. The Shabbat was given to man to rest, to eat, drink, and to bless Yah. And this had to be very carefully pointed out to the rabbis who had turned it into a heavy and grievous burden. The rabbis had loaded heaps upon the shoulders of the believers and did not lift one finger to help them get into the kingdom. So we see that the teaching of Mashiach, and what did Mashiach teach? He taught over and over and over again, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and the kingdom. And the kingdom is where? You know, you know what they say, uh, heaven is a place on earth, right? Truth is, is that heaven and earth may never disappear. It's certainly not going to disappear in our lifetime. And when Mashiach says, only the Father knows when heaven and earth will disappear, it's very possible that it will never disappear. There may be many, many 7,000-year epochs that take place on the earth. Scripture gives us three epochs. He was, he is, and he is to come. And when he is to come, he's going to come 
in for another epic, an epic that will be a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. When New Jerusalem appears, does it appear in the heavens or does it appear on earth? It appears on earth. Is New Jerusalem truly a structure? Or is it a spiritual place? <coughs> These are questions. And so we, as people, when you look at the rich young man, he comes to Mashiach and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Isn't that what he asks? What must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Mashiach says to him, keep the Torah and the prophets. These I have done from my youth. Have you? Why are your neighbors clad in dung and have nothing to eat? Sell all that you have and follow me. And the rich young man was grieved because he was in love with his stuff. <laughs> and so we begin to see that what must we do to inherit the kingdom? Now, the kingdom is something that comes to us in this lifetime. We become eternal beings in this lifetime. We become eternal beings when our nefesh becomes a ruach. Dr. P? Yes. I'm sorry, I need to interrupt, but it is not broadcasting to the world assembly of Yahuwah. Wait, hold on just a minute. It should be. I've started a video chat. Video chat. It shows here that it is broadcasting live. Hmm. When I tried it, Eileen was trying to, uh, says it ain't for her either. It isn't for her either. Let's see. No, I get, I get, I do get a black screen that says World Assembly of Yahweh is currently not broadcasting live stream data on Telegram. Wait, it's doing something different now. All right. Nope. Well, we have a similar problem and we just reboot it with our similar problem. And then did it come up? Yeah. And then everything started working. Yeah, what you have to do. If okay. you look on the tele, if you look on your Telegram app, you're gonna have a boot. You'll have something down there that says uh, "Update Telegram." Okay, you're in listen mode only. Okay, yeah. Now, are you hearing it on Telegram as well, Let Serena? See. Let me see. I'm not. I'm not. Not hearing not. it. I'm hearing you're it. You're saying no. you're not hearing it. No sound. Mm -mm. I'm hearing it on Zoom. I couldn't figure out how to get on Telegram. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because it is showing the audio is coming through here. But uh, I mean, what do I know about it, right? Loud <laughs> and clear on Zoom, that's for sure. Yeah, people are saying they're not hearing. They're so on they Zoom. To reboot. Yeah, one more time, I'll update and see if I can get it back on, and we'll see what's going. See if we can get it happening. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to get it done. I appreciate that, guys. But I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, when we when I 
you know, the uh, the idiosyncrasies of trying to make it happen are, are a little bit difficult. Okay, let me see if I can uh, try it again here. Now let's do this. Okay, it seems to be going on. So it continue. says main audio is being recorded. It's saying audio is audio is being recorded. Okay, so we've got some feedback here. Let's see. Right. Now I've just I just kind of rebooted it and it should be <coughs> I, I did. we have to have a link for live. Uh no, no, I mean no, I mean the thing is we're live here on the Zoom channel. We're just trying to simulcast on the onto Telegram. Yeah, yeah I know. Is do we need a, a link on Telegram? No. No. Okay. No. No. The only thing I'm getting is that it's currently not broadcasting live stream data. I went out. I went in. I rebooted. So maybe there's just a uh, something somewhere. Yeah, and I get the join button when I hit the Telegram um, icon. It shows video chat. I press there and then it will come over into the Telegram channel, say join, but I still get the black screen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hold on. I'm going to see Ooh. what I can do. What do I do? It shows we did have a live stream going, but I'm going to try doing it, doing it again here. See, I mean, I do have the settings set up for the that Zoom channel, but you know, I don't know exactly what happened, why we're getting it difficult, but I'm going to try to reboot it here. Let's see if we can get it going again. Let me admit Violetta here in this one. Yeah. Seconds here, it should come up. Let's see if I can get it. Okay, what is it? Oh, there it is. Okay, now we hit join group. Join group should put us in there. Let's see what we got here. Oh, okay. Okay, it was ended. Okay. It restarted. Okay. That's the difficulties with all these things. Mm. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> Okay, so we're recording the video stream now on, and this shows that it's live, that it's live. Okay. okay. Now, so there should be something coming through there. Mine is a black screen. I just tried again. Once I got the button, Shabbat, Way Shabbat Live, I tried again, and I'm still getting a black screen. So maybe it's just something in the, in the lines or something. You did start it over. I got a message on it. World Assembly of Yahweh is currently not broadcasting live stream. Yes. Data on Telegram. That's what it said. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so what it says too. It's just possible that it's something in the lines or something, you know. Could be the weather, the lines. Yeah, connections, the yes. something, connections. Absolutely. May I suggest that we uh, all to get together and agree that everything that would resist us from having this clear communication on Telegram be bound and removed. And uh, we call upon the servants of the Most High to see to this uh, being ha happening in Yosha's name. Amen. 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 All praise. Amen. Honor to Yahuwah. Amen. All right. I thank you for that, David. Thank you. Thank you. May our prayers be heard. Okay. Format. Because I think what's happening is, is that it had, I have uh, kind of the streaming keys and so on, all kind of. Um, Dr. P? Yes. Hi, Raina. It says meeting is now streaming live on custom live stream service. There's a black uh, on my screen. It says that's that on Zoom. That's what mine says, too. Mm -hmm. yeah, I see it coming up. It says live stream and then join. So let's mm -hmm. see. Okay. Okay. I just rejoined it. And um, when I hit the um, Telegram icon, when you are going live, it shows a video. And then when you shut it off, it's not there. And I just joined it again, and it's still a black screen. It's, it's a black screen. Yeah, it's saying Yahoo, Assembly of Yahuwah is currently not broadcasting live stream to data, to Telegram. Okay. And then it shows a, a join button at the top. Right. It's no good. Right. It's not good. Yeah. Okay, well, I can tell you, uh, friends that I'm going to make this my last effort to get this to happen. And if it doesn't happen, now see, I'm showing both Dabari and Cynthia typing here into this live stream, but it's just not coming through. Let's see. Mm -hmm. And if see, it's not finding the stream coming in from Zoom and it should, and I think part of the reason that it's not is because we have some difficulties here with um, with the streaming software. Okay. Well, it's new. Yeah. I'm kidding. All right, one more shot here. Okay, so I don't want us to get derailed because of what's going on here, though. Uh, they can listen to the recording. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Just leave it alone. It's fine. We could put it yeah. like Kimberly wants it this way. That's the way it's yeah, Kimberly amen. makes incredible notices that are blue and flash. 
that just say audio is only going to be available recording. Oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. Let me just notify everybody. Okay. We seem to have a difficulty. Brother Pink? Yes. Um, I have uh, many channels on Telegram. And I have to add each person to the channel, and then they can get on the thing. Is that not how you understand Telegram group? Yeah, but all these people have all these all these people have been added, and we had a very successful Telegram broadcast last week, but we're not sure. getting it today. We're having a difficulty okay. today, and I think what it has to do with is that it's reading automatic settings from last week, and uh, those settings I don't think are accurate for me to get in. So and I'm going to have to go through and delete the old settings in order to make it work. And uh, so this is just a difficulty. So it is what it is. And I'm going to have to figure it out on my own. It's a learning curve. I got up early and I didn't get through it. So it's okay. okay. It's a learning curve. It's okay. Praise Yah. We're all here. Yeah. And uh, Amen. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Yeah. And, and maybe the guy doesn't want Telegram today. I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to share with you guys now that when we talk about this, going back to where we were, because there has been some good discussion on the Telegram group. Although sometimes we like to close our doors and be pretty myopic. And, you know, my friend uh, Scott Harwell that I invited into the group, he's a lawyer, you know. And so lawyers have kind of a different mindset. They're twisted between two blocks of stone. <laughs> and uh, so he's kind of wrestling with some of these ideas. He's done a lot of discussion with groups outside of our fellowship uh, and with teachers outside of our fellowship. And some of the teachers that he interviews are really quite strong. There's a guy named Michael that I think is up in Northern Ireland, maybe, or maybe in uh, Northern Wales, who is a very strong teacher, very powerful teacher quiet man who runs a great fellowship and there's others that I think are kind of wayward and others that like to argue and argue and beat people with their fists and so on about how right they are uh but you know our point in doing this Shabbat fellowship is to share the Torah and to share an understanding on the scripture and to talk about the world that we see today and to apply you know it's one thing to say let's read let's do a blind reading of the Torah it's another thing to say, we need to understand how this Torah relates to our life today. These are very important times in which we live in. And we do have, I think, an obligation to know and to understand what it is uh, that the Torah is speaking to us. Is there something in Moshe's Torah? And we've been in a very difficult portion of the Torah lately, talking about animal sacrifices, and the sanctifying of the blood, hanging out in Baikra, which is a very difficult section. We're going to be in a very difficult section in Baikra today, and I'm going to get into it, but we're going to see something in Baikra that becomes very important, uh, especially when we get into Leviticus 18, because Moshe is going to delineate uh, something that is very, very true. And you have to remember that not only is Moshe's Torah kind of the foundation of the modern legal system, 
but it's also the foundation of modern medicine. And we're going to see in here how Moshe, you know, like last week, we looked at the, at the idea of diagnosing leprosy. And he gave us essentially the standards for diagnostics, which is that you would have a patient come to the priest and the priest would do an exam. The priest would examine the skin to see its coloration, to see the color of the hairs, to see the color of the skin. And so you see the beginning of the medical exam <clears throat> begins in Moshe's Torah. And, <clears throat> and then we're given conclusions. Well, the conclusions are what? The conclusions are if you see the following, then you diagnose that this person has leprosy. Or if you see the following, you diagnose that the person does not have leprosy. And you see issues of quarantining uh, and other things that are taking place <clears throat> that are really standards for modern medicine. Now, we're going to see something similar here. This is kind of a cross between a medicine and the law. Because when we get into discussing the, um, uh, the prohibitions, sexual prohibitions, we have something going here that Moshe is going to be talking about. That, of course, these prohibitions are never to be said in public anymore because people find them to be offensive. It's offensive speech to say these things in public. Well, sorry, you know, I read scripture in public, and so that's the way it is. That's the way it's always going to be. Okay, so let's begin here with prayer, if we can, this morning. And let's pray that Yah will bless us now and keep us. Yahweh, say, well, hear our prayer, Father. We ask for your blessings now on this meeting. Father, that it be about you, not about us. That it be about your word, not about us. That your word would be revealed to us today. And that you would couch our group in shalom and peace. A loving understanding for one another. And an understanding that brings joy and peace among us. That we might be a family, a brotherhood. And join together in your Ruach HaKodesh. That we as a people can sit on this earth and praise your name, knowing that your glory is soon to be seen throughout all the four corners of the earth. Be with us today in spirit and the truth, Father. Guide us and direct us and lead us through this Torah portion. When Yahweh spoke unto Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aharon, when they offered before Yahweh and died, and Yahweh said to El Moshe, speak unto El Aharon, your brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he dies not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aharon come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for an ascending smoke offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen belt, and with the linen turban shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. He shall take of the assembly of the children of Yashorel two kid goats for a sin offering, and one ram for an ascending smoke offering. And Aharon shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats, present them before Yahweh at the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And Aharon shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Yahweh and the other lot for Azazel. 
And Aharon shall bring the goat upon which Yahweh's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat of which the lot fell to be for Azazel shall be presented alive before Yahweh to make an atonement with him and to let him go for Azazel into the wilderness. Now, this is interesting. Here, the offering of the atonement is going to be a live goat. The, on the goat which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before Yahweh to make an atonement with him and to let him go for Azazel into the wilderness. Very interesting that it would be a live goat and not a sacrifice goat that's going up for Azazel. And Aharon shall bring the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself before his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before Yahweh, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before Yahweh, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he dies not. And he shall take up the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, for the mercy seat shall, shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Okay, so there's several things going on here. One is, is that I think the idea of the Azazel not being, the Azazel goat not being sacrificed is a message to Azazel in the wilderness that his sins are unatoned, that they remain unatoned. That the sins of Azazel are cast onto this goat and the goat is sent out to the wilderness where they remain unatoned in the wilderness. And now we also see something here, too, that incense is put on the fire. Now, incense is not, uh, is not a, the, the sacrifice of blood. And as a consequence, I think that if you want to talk about peace offerings and so on and so forth that, that remain in the Torah, the idea of a grain offering, the idea of an incense offering, appears to remain without violation. In other words, there's no blood to be sprinkled on the altar. And so as a consequence, when we talk about incense, our prayers are construed as incense in heaven. Our prayers are construed as incense. And so as a consequence, we talk about having incense before the altar. This incense that we use as a sacrifice or a rising smoke offering is our prayer, is our prayers. And so prayers rise sweet incense before the throne and they are retained in heaven. And in fact, there is a discussion in Revelation of the incense burning, which are the prayers of the saints, prayers of the saints, which brings a sweet, savory aroma to Yah in heaven. And so this is why, and again, when we see what's taking place when we talk about the atonement in the New Testament, Mashiach says, this bread and this cup this bread is my body. This cup is my blood shed for you for remission of sin. What we see here is we see something that is taking place in the Brit Hadashah that is an understanding that we should have had earlier but didn't, which is that we are required to worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth, in Ruach and in truth, not in the flesh. Now, this is a very different kind of thing. But this was a clarity that had to be brought to the Torah. 
we are asked to worship Yah in spirit or in Ruach and in truth. And so by doing this, this kind of gives you an idea that the, the idea of prayers is incense, making yourself a living sacrifice unto Yahweh. See, these things are different than what we get in Moshe's. Pardon me. I'm still getting over a 16-hour plane flight. You know, they, you breathe only clean air on a plane. Over and over and over and over. Yeah. All right. Let's continue. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, right? Seven times, right? And the seven times reflect, of course, the sevenfold doctrine of Yah's creation is Enoch 93.12. Because Yah does express himself sevenfold. He gives seven oaths. He set forth the seven-colored rainbow as part of that seven oaths. We have a 7,000-year epoch in which we're living. And one of those is going to be a 1,000 years of rest. Hallelujah. He gives us a seven-day Shabbat. All of these things are the sevenfold oath of Yah. And this is a sevenfold atonement. He shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Yasharel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. So shall he do for the tabernacle of the assembly that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now, it's very interesting when we talk about uncleanness, right? Because Mashiach tells us that it's not what you put in your mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. Now, the more we think, think about this, the more we see that what comes out of the mouth becomes extremely important because Mashiach says, by your words, you shall be justified. And by your words, you shall be condemned. Man is judged by every word that comes out of his mouth. Now, this is more important than the works that you do, but rather the words that you say. So to blaspheme Yahweh becomes a very difficult situation for you. The sin of blaspheming Yahusha is a sin that is readily forgiven. The sin of blaspheming Yahweh is a different story. And, of course, blaspheming the Ruach HaKodesh becomes a, a very difficult proposition. When people say things like, I'm not under the law, to give you an example. When you divorce yourself from the precepts of Yahweh, the Tzavod of Yahweh, where do you place yourself? Because you say, I'm not under the law, then the law no longer covers you. And if the law no longer covers you, then how do you say, you can't kill me? You can't kill me. I have a right to life. No, you don't. You said, I'm not under the law. I have a right to my property. No, you don't. You said, I'm not under the law. You have revoked that with the words of your lips. And by revoking that with the words of your lips, Yah may have heard that and considered it. You know, Jasher has that very interesting story 
talking about Yitzhak and Yishmael. And the two are talking, and Ishmael is bellyaching to Yitzhak. And he's saying, oh, you have no idea what I went through for my faith. I was circumcised at age 13. You can't imagine how painful that was. And it was the world's worst day of my life. And I hated it and on and on and on. And I was in excruciating pain. And Yitzhak says to Ishmael, I would give my life for my faith. And he said this. And the next thing that is written is, and Yahweh considered his words. And Yahweh considered his words. And so this is something that we're taught by Mashiach, that by your words, you shall be justified. By your words, you shall be condemned. But you will be judged by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so when we see these things, we can see that <clears throat> the prayers of the righteous will avail it much. They will avail it much because they are heard. Why is this true? Because creation is predicated upon the speaking of Yah. It says over and over again in Genesis 1, Vayamar Elohim, and Elohim spoke and said, let this happen, let this happen. All of creation sprung from the voice of Yahweh. And when we speak, we contribute to or take away from that creation. And this is why our words are so important. Now, <clears throat> there's a passage where Yah says, I will not hold you as, un as clean. I will not render you clean if you do something. If you do this one thing, I'm not going to consider you clean. You're going to be unclean in my sight. What is that that he says? Striking through the name. That's right. Taking, bringing the name to nothing. If you bring, yeah, thou shalt not bring my name to nothing. If you do, I will never hold you as, un, as clean. You will always be unclean. This is what's said. This is, this is in the, the, the third commandment. You shall not bring my name to nothing. I will not cleanse the person who brings my name to nothing. So when we, when we talk about this, what is the incredibleness and the importance of the name, right? What does Mashiach say to Yahweh? And Yahweh responds back so that the whole world can hear him. Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes out like thunder saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The prayer that we're told, Shiach tells us to pray, pray. Avinu, our father, not the one on earth, but the one in heaven, Shabbat Shemayim. Shem HaKavod, your name is glorious. 
What's the first thing he teaches us in his model of prayer? Address your prayer to the Father and proclaim his name to be glorified. It's the first thing. So we can see when he says, he shall sprinkle the blood upon his uh, upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Yasharel. The children of Yasharel, who have the names of other gods repeatedly on their tongue. You know, somebody shared, shared a video with me yesterday that what we call Astarte poles, which I used to think were totem poles, most likely were, in fact, obelisks, obelisks standing in standing uh, stones, standing. And these kinds of things are worship things that are not supposed to be built. Yet in the United States, we have one that has 555 feet showing and 111 feet in the basement beneath it for an obelisk standing at 666 feet. And by the way, that obelisk stands in a district that is, be, that is in the womb of the Virgin Mary between Virginia and Maryland. Are you surprised that Rome would dominate us? You shouldn't be. And when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the assembly and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aharon shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all of the iniquities of the children of Yasharel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So all the sins and the transgressions of the house of Yasharel are now going to be placed on his head and assigned to Azazel. And this goat is going to continue to live and to drag all the sins of Yasharel to Azazel. And, you know, it's in the book of Hanok that it says, and the whole of the crime was laid on Azazel. The whole of the crime was laid on Azazel. Okay. And Aharon shall come into the tabernacle. Oh, and the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities into a land not inhabited. He shall go into the wilderness. And Aharon shall come into the tabernacle of the assembly, shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. He shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his ascending smoke offering, the ascending smoke offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go the goat of Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn it in the fire of their skins, their flesh, and their dung. And he that burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. Now notice that the goat and the bull are done to sanctify the altar from the uncleanness of Yasharel. Did you see that? The goat and the bull are there to sanctify the altar from the uncleanness of Yasharel. 
The transgression of Yasharel is placed on a live goat and sent into the wilderness. So this is something going on here. I mean, let's think about this for a second. We're not talking about a blood sacrifice for the sins of Yasharel, are we? The bull and the goat are sacrificed to sanctify the altar from the uncleanness of Yasharel. The transgressions of Yasharel are placed upon a living goat and sent into the wilderness to be assigned to Azazel. This is what you might call passing the goat. You know, it used to be passing the buck. This isn't passing the buck. This is passing the goat. Yeah, not us. Now it's Azazel. You know, all, all of our sins, we're blaming on the devil. The devil made me do it. We're passing all this stuff, putting it on the goat's head, shipping it out to Azazel. Say, there you go, buddy. Here's all the sins you created. And again, this is, once again, this reliance upon this teaching in Hanok that the whole of the blame would be placed on Azazel. Okay. And this shall be a statute unto you, unto you forever. That in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one in your own country or a stranger that sojourns with you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean of your sins before Yahweh. It shall be a Shabbat of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the assembly and for the altar. He shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make atonement for the children of Yasharel for their sins once a year, as Yahweh commanded Moshe. Interesting, eh? An annual pass the buck. An annual pass the buck. And does this atone for the sins? Did the sacrificing of an animal atone for the sins? No, the sacrificing of the animal anointed the tabernacle and anointed uh, the priesthood, but it did not do anything for cleansing sin. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto El Aharon, unto his sons, and to all the children of Yasharel, and saying to them, This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Yasharel that kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or that kills it out of the camp, and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the assembly to offer an offering unto Yahweh before the tabernacle of Yahweh, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Very interesting. To the end that the children of Yahshua may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto Yahweh, unto the door of the tabernacle of the assembly, unto the priest, and offer them for peace offerings unto Yahuwah. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of Yahuwah at the door of the tabernacle of the assembly and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto Yahuwah. And they shall no longer offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they've gone a-whoring. 
there shall be a statute unto them throughout their generations. So we see that, you know, this is one of the big deals because you cannot, this is giving you an indication that you cannot slaughter an animal, period, unless there's a tabernacle where you can bring the animal to the tabernacle. Because if you do, then you're shedding blood. And you shall say unto them, whatsoever man there be of the house of Yasharel or of the strangers which sojourn among you that offers an ascending smoke offering or sacrifice and brings it not under the door of the tabernacle of the assembly to offer it unto Yahweh, that man shall be cut off from his people. In other words, if you're out there doing, doing a, a smoke offering and you haven't brought it to the temple, well, then you are to be cut off. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Yasharel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eats any manner of blood, I will set my face against that soul that eats the blood and will cut him off from among the people. Well, this is really kind of interesting because is there blood? You know, most of the time we believe that if we bleed out the animal, then there's no blood. But we all know that when you cook a steak, there's some stuff lying there on the plate. Is that blood that qualifies here? 1711, for the soul of the flesh is in the blood. He and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood of him that makes an atonement in the soul. Uh, yeah, very interesting verse. Problematic uh, for most people. But the he and I is something that we discovered in looking at the Ivrit. The Ivrit the there is huvani, huvani, he and I have given it to you upon, this, upon the altar. Therefore I said unto the children of Yasharel, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourns among you eat blood. And whosoever man there be of the children of Yasharel or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunts and catches any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. Okay, so here he's telling you, and this is an important thing. I mean, anybody that hunts or fishes knows you have to get the blood out of the animal promptly. That's what you need to do. You're going to preserve the end. If you're going to preserve the taste of the meat, you've got to get the blood out of the animal well before rigor mortis sets in, which gives you only a couple of hours. For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is the life thereof. Okay. So we're talking about the essence of life. The essence of life is contained in the blood. Why? Because Yah says, I shall be blood. Adam. Therefore, I said unto the children of Yashiro, you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eats it shall be cut off. And every soul that eats, that which died of itself or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or stranger, shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And then he shall be clean. But if he washes them not or bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Now, this is something to think about because when a beast dies on its own, should you eat that? What about a beast that's torn by other beasts? Like, for instance, when we go fishing, Quite often we catch salmon that a seal has taken a bite out of, okay? that's torn with other beasts. Now, 
technically, you're not supposed to eat that. And if you are, you're unclean. Chapter 18, okay, now we're going to get into some tough stuff. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Yashrael, say to them, I am Yahweh Elohekim. After the doings of the land of Mitzrayim, where ye dwell, shall ye not do. After their doings, stop doing it. And after their doings of the land of Canaan, where I bring you, you shall not do that either. Neither shall ye walk in any of their ordinances. You shall do my judgments, guard my ordinances, and walk therein. I am Yahweh Elohim. You shall therefore guard my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live in them. This very important teaching from Moshe talking about the precepts of Yahweh, that the precepts of Yahweh are the precepts of life and not death. Life and not death. Because when we talk about death, we talk about when you look at any other legal system, it contains death and death only. Do it or we kill you. That is the ultimate conclusion of other legal systems. Do they promise life? Do they ensure life? Are there pathways, pathways of life? Or are they pathways of order? Pathways of uh, continuing and ever-growing authority in the hands of man? Of course, that's what they are. They're about glorifying a king, glorifying a government, glorifying a politburo, glorifying a parliament, whatever it may be that's controlling your country. All the statutes and ordinances that are done there are done to glorify that entity, not to glorify Yah. A country that seeks righteousness is a country that uses the precepts of Yah as its standards and its leadership yield to the authority of Yah whether it's the king, the judge, or the lawmaker, all of them must be in obeisance to Yahweh in every respect. If they are not, then you will create a government that is anathema to Yah and that brings death. Because ultimately, all legal systems outside the legal system of Yah are legal systems which bring death. Only in Yahweh do we have the promise if you were to guard his statutes and judgments, which if a man does, then he shall live in them. You shall have life and life abundantly, because Yah delights to give you life and life with abundance. <clears throat> okay. None of you shall approach to any that is near akin to him to uncover their nakedness. Okay. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about sexual relationships. I am Yahweh. The nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, shall you not uncover. She is your mother, you shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's woman shall you not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. Now, this is why we talk about uncovering the nakedness of Noah. We're not talking about uh, Canaan doing something to Noah. Rather, he uncovered his father's nakedness, meaning that he had a relationship with Noah's wife. 
the nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, the daughter of your mother, whether she be born at home, born abroad, even in their nakedness, you shall not uncover. No brother-sister relationships. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, even their nakedness, you shall not uncover. That's grandson, granddaughter, right? That's your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's woman's daughter, begotten of your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. Okay, and this this means even if your father is married to a different woman, you, you can't marry your step your half sister, which which of course Abraham did. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister; she's your father's near kinswoman. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister; she's your mother's near kinswoman. No marrying your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. No marrying your uncle. You shall not approach his woman. She is your aunt. So here, no marrying your aunt, who is aunt by by uh, legal uh, legally, but not by uh, blood. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She's your son's woman. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's woman, which is more or less your daughter-in-law, right? Your brother's woman. It is your brother's nakedness. Oh no, it's your it's your sister-in-law. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are her near kinswomen. It is wickedness. Neither shall you take a woman to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside her in her lifetime. Well, this is what Yaakov did in marrying Leah and Raquel. He took Leah and then her sister while Leah was still living. Okay. Also, you shall not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's woman to defy yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your seed pass through to Molech, neither shall you profane the name of Elohim. I am Yahweh. Now, isn't this interesting? Suddenly we have, in the middle of all this sexual sin, the idea of passing your seed through to Molech. Of course, we can get into this pretty hard and heavy. In fact, maybe let's take the time here. Well, you guys, I think, already know this, that when we talk about the word Molech, this is spelled MLK, you know, Martin Luther King. You know, Mem, Lamed, Kaf, Sophie. So you have three choices there. It can be Melech which is king, it can be Malak, which is messenger, or it can be Molech. And Molech is a particular kind of messenger. So Malak, messenger, is a form of angel. The term Malak is what we use for angel, and it's routinely interpreted as angel. Or messenger, Malachi, the book Malachi, talking about an angel messenger. Molech is a fallen angel, a fallen angel. So you shall not let any of your seed pass through to Molech. In other words, you cannot, this is a ban on women having relationships with the Nephilim. Not Nephilim, Nephilim. Now, this was important enough for Moshe to include it here in this text. 
because it must have been possible at this time for women to have relationships with fallen angels. He wouldn't have banned it if it weren't possible. So here people are being told, now they must also have been notorious. That is to say, people must have been able to see that they were in fact Moloch, that they were in fact Malak, they were Malakim. They could tell. Well, how could you tell? Six toes, six fingers, two rows of teeth, inordinately tall. You know, how could you tell that they were that they were Malak? Like elongated skulls, you know. But you could tell. Apparently, you could tell. And it doesn't say through the fire, by the way. In many texts, they have through the fire, which was added because Jeremiah talked about passing the seed through the fire to Molech. But in these earlier passages, it does not say anything about the fire. You shall not let any of your seed pass through the Molech, neither shall you profane the name of Elohim. I am Yahweh. So in passing, <coughs> in passing your seed through the Molech, you are, if you are profaning the name of Yahweh, how are you profaning the name of Yahweh? Well, we know that the name yod Vav appears in your DNA. That's the structure of the amino acid. The structure is yod Vav. When you pass your seed through the Molech, you're changing the name yod Vav. You're profaning it, and you're, you know, creating a triple helix DNA. You shall not, you're told not to do this. John, did you have something you wanted to add here, brother? <clears throat> yeah. Um, all of this stuff that you're not to do, right up in the front of this list, this is what the Egyptian culture was doing and what the Canaanite culture was doing. And that's the evidence that that was going on is in archaeology. You probably can't find that anywhere on the internet now. But this was happening. This was normal procedure in Egypt and the Canaanite civilization. So this is not like Yahweh or Moses is putting some, hey, we can't play anymore, you know. That's exactly what he's saying. You cannot do what they were doing. I think it's very important that this was being done daily as a matter of, oh, this is okay, in the culture of both Egypt and Canaanite. And in... That's all. <laughs> yeah, it's a very important point, John. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, he gives us, he our precursor is, is you shall not do what they did in Mitzrayim. You should leave that behind. You shall not do what they did in Canaan. Now, I think there's something also going on in Canaan. But that, I'm not sure it was happening in Mitzrayim, but it was happening in Canaan, which was cannibalism. And we're going to get a prohibition about cannibalism too. But what's so interesting about the cannibalism and so on is that unless you have a Torah, Think about what the world is like before there's this Torah. Everything is permissible. Anything is permissible. Do what thou wilt. 
who's going to say no? There is no moral code other than what we get in the in the paradise Torah. But there's no real moral code going on here. So until this is written, people are going to do what they do. In fact, the only thing, the only guidelines that we really had concerning marriage was that there was a natural assumption that a man was going to take a woman. And but it could have been more than one woman, more than one woman. We know, for instance, that Esau took many wives. He took three wives. He had two Canaanite wives and an Ishmaeli wife. And Yaakov took more than one wife. Right? Abraham had a wife and a surrogate mother. Right? And But you see the instruction from Abraham is to tell Yitzhak, go to your own people to find a wife. Do not find a Canaanite wife. Yitzhak and Rivka's instruction to their sons was, go to your own people to find a wife. Do not go find a Canaanite wife or an Ishmaelite wife. And Esau disobeyed that entirely. This is part of Esau's rejection of the birthright. And then when you get to Yaakov, Yaakov is told, go to your own people to find a wife. So he does. He goes back to people who were blood related to Abraham to find a wife. And of course, the whole thing that happens with Laban is really quite substantial because Laban is really should have placed a dowry for Raquel and the dowry should have been provided to Yaakov when he pledged himself to marry her. But as Raquel would later say, Laban sold both his daughters to Yaakov for seven years of work and he ate up their dowry. He spent their dowry. So when they were given to Yaakov, they were sold to Yaakov. He did not get a wife for the dowry. He bought these women with the bride's price. And ultimately, Yah would provide him with the dowry in the last seven years of his working with Laban. Because Yah would say, okay, you take the ugly goats, you take the ugly sheep, the ugly cattle, and then I'll get you a dowry. And so all that Laban had stolen was replaced by the hand of Yah and given to Laban as a dowry for Raquel and for Leah. But Raquel made the mistake of also including in her dowry the teraphim, the shrunken heads of her father, Laban. And this be became a huge problem for her because she had these shrunken heads with her and she claimed she had all kinds of stories. Well, I was just trying to keep them away from my father who was talking to them so he could find out where we were. Baloney. She, those were her gods. And she brought them with her. And that turned into a major curse for her. She could not bear children. When she finally could bear a child, it was Joseph. Brothers wanted to kill him. And then she finally gives birth a second time. And she dies in childbirth. These were big problems for Raquel. But you can see that, yeah, what, you're, what John is saying here is that we have this idea that these practices were going on in Mitzrayim. But we can see that they were going on in the house of Israel, too. Abraham married his half-sister. All of the patriarchs after Abraham were marrying their first cousin. 
They were all marrying their first cousin. And Yaakov married a woman and her sister, right? All of this happened. And we're going to see also that even after this command is given, during the time of Manasseh, even Manasseh passed his seed through to Molech. Even Manasseh did, right? So this continued, this paganite, this Canaanite practice continued nonstop. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Are we passing our seed through the Molech today? Now, I think we have a different way of doing it today. But when you talk about an mRNA vaccine, a messenger RNA, remember that the word for messenger in Hebrew is molek. A molek RNA, injecting it into your system to pass your seed over to molek. Okay, you shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now, if you ask yourself, well, what's the definition of an abomination? Well, the definition of an abomination is when a man lies with a with another man as with the woman. That's an abomination. That's an that's a definition of an abomination. Okay. This is a problem for the modern world. They want this particular Torah provision stricken from the Bible. They want it stricken. This is why you can't read the book of Jude in a New Testament church, because Jude makes direct reference to this. And the difficulty with this is that when Moshe says this, he's telling you it's an abomination and He's telling you that for many, many reasons. Moshe is going to give the death penalty for this as a form of uh, not only adultery uh, that is deserving of death, but because it's an abomination. But Yah, on the other hand, provides a different judgment. Yah says when the society embraces the idea that this provision is okay, that it's okay for a man to lie with another man as he does with a woman. When the society does that, Yah says, I will vomit you out of the land which I have given you. Now, you can look at the social orders where this has been codified, and you can see that those people are being vomited out of their own land. I mean, look, let's face it. Paris is a Muslim city. London is a Muslim city. Munich is a Muslim city. Because the French and the Brits and the Germans are being vomited out of those towns. And they're being replaced by people who have not codified this kind of condition. Because Yah will vomit you out of the land that I have given you. Now, when we look at this provision too, we can see that what we, have, what we have in the world today is really much farther down the road than this. Minnesota yesterday has uh, introduced a bill to grant legal protection to pedophiles. 
as a protected class of people. That their transgression that used to be criminalized is now going to be protected as a matter of law. Now, you guys might recall this, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take a few moments to go through this. You guys might recall that back in the, in the day, Barack Obama took office in 2008, he pledged to protect the Defense of Marriage Act in the United States. In 2010, there was a huge push to codify domestic partnerships. And domestic partnerships were claimed to be essentially equality for same-sex couples that that's as far as they wanted to go, was to get domestic partnerships. Two years later, they were at the door demanding marriage. And when they, when they demanded marriage, I mean, I'll just tell you point blank. I fought this war in the state of Washington, trying to keep this from happening. And we lost. We lost. And Washington, the state of Washington, was the first state in the union to vote by democratic vote, codify homosexual marriages. Now, that assumes, of course, that it was a free and fair election in Washington, which it, which it wasn't. But even California had rejected same-sex marriages. Um, and when the same-sex marriage law was adopted in Washington, it had other provisions. One of those provisions was an anti-discrimination law for people of different sexual orientation. Well, that anti-discrimination, by, by the way, that whole law was unlawful because it had multiple parts. But by that anti-discrimination provision, they subsequently ruled the following year that it was discrimination to deny a man the right to jump into a dress and enter a woman's locker room. So in fact, the YMCA, where we used to go to work out, had guys taking showers in the girls' locker room. I mean, a year later. Then that became, of course, trans protection which is now becoming pedophile protection. So the question that was going around in the state of Washington in 2010 was, how does my same-sex relationship affect your marriage? We're just two consenting adults. And of course, when I got on the public square and gave them the empirical data as to how it affected your marriage, they, of course, shut me down and censured me, called me a whack job, would not allow me to speak, canceled all my debate appearances, so on and so forth. They wouldn't even debate me in Washington because I would have produced studies showing same-sex marriage, which was such a huge push, they had to have it. Why? Because 15 thousandths of 1% of the population would get married. Not 1%, not one-tenth of 1%, not one-hundredth of 1%. Fifteen thousandths of one percent. Statistically, in every nation that's ever codified same-sex marriage, get married. Their rate of divorce anywhere is from six to twenty times higher than it is among marriage that excluded same-sex couples. 
the kind of things that would come to same-sex couples, homosexual men have an average lifespan of 42 years, excluding AIDS. 93% have hepatitis A, hepatitis B. 88% have incurable syphilis. 68% have incurable forms of gonorrhea. These are just, just the hardcore facts that nobody was allowed to speak in public when all this was going on. And so we can see that these same-sex relationships, and then what is the effect on regular marriage? Well, as soon as you adopt and codify same-sex marriage, 20-somethings stop getting married. They don't get married. They don't care about marriage because marriage is an irrelevant institution. It holds no formality, no tradition. It means nothing. The rate of divorce skyrockets, it doubles, which means that the rate of out of wedlock birth skyrockets, which means that the tragedy that unfolds in the, in the teaching of youth and bringing youth to uh, a great place in this, in this life also collapses. So as a consequence, here we are 13 years later after same-sex, after domestic partnerships were approved, 77% of American youth are unfit to join the U.S. military. 77% because of drug addiction, morbid obesity, so on and so forth. Can anybody see any correlation as to why codifying this relationship between two consenting adults has had on the social order in, in, in general. Now, not only that, but the book Sex and Culture by Unruh, 1934, where he looked at 89 cultures, also shows that cultures that do these kinds of things, and there have been many, many cultures that have done this before, but when you codify same-sex relationships, and eventually codifying bestiality relationships, which by the way, the next provision, neither shall you lie with any beast to defile yourself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there to its confusion. Germany codified bestiality, said this is perfectly fine. State of Washington, state of Oregon, bestiality is perfectly fine, as long as you don't quote unquote harm the animal. Well, when you codify bestiality and you codify same-sex relationships, it's not long before you're codifying incense, incest, polygamy, and now pedophilia. Now, when you think about going down this slippery slope to where we are today, when you do that, you deprive the social order of righteousness, number one, which means you deprive the social order of blessing, number two, which means that you create an inert environment. That is to say, the energy of the society falls. It immediately decays and it drops to nothing. And ultimately, you get a place where because everything goes, there is nothing happening in the country. It's inert. It's dead. And you quickly become the debtor and you quickly become the tail and not the head. The country that vociferously protects virginity of the children until they're married and protects marriage thereafter 
is the country that rises to become the head, that rises to become the creditor and not the debtor. Now, if you think the United States is not decadent, then you have to explain $31 trillion in debt, the greatest debtor nation in the history of Earth. How did we become that way? You know, under JFK, we had a balanced budget and zero debt. You see? And so you can see that when, when Moshe lays these down, he says, what here? Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Because they were practicing these things. Yahweh vomited them from the Holy Land. I'm casting you out. And the land is defiled. Therefore, do I visit the iniquity thereof upon it? And the land itself vomits out her inhabitants. You see that? It's very clear. The land itself vomits out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore guard my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourns among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Well, guess what happens to the northern kingdom? Spewed out of the land in 722 BC. What happens to the southern kingdom? Spewed out of the land in 586 BC. And what do you think is going to happen to Israel today in its defilement? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, let's get John Hagee out here to say, oh, we Christians need to spend all our time praying for Israel, a nation that denies the Messiah, a nation that is prepared to criminalize any teaching concerning Mashiach, to make it a criminal offense. Let's pray for Israel. Those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Those who curse Israel shall be cursed. That's assuming that that nation is Israel, and it isn't. It is pretending to be Israel. Yasharel are the tribes of Yasharel, not this discrete nation state that happens to be occupying territory that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. So people want to pray for this and they want to they want to bend over backwards for Israel. Oh, Israel, Israel, we need to pray for Jerusalem. We need to make Israel great. We need to spend more time on concentrating on making Israel great than on the United States great. Oh, really? And what are they doing in Tel Aviv? Huh? What are they doing in Tel Aviv? the home of the rainbow flag. What are they doing in Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv is considered the homosexual capital of the world. There is no place on earth that has a higher practice of homosexuality than Tel Aviv. They have sued 
congregations in Israel and have won substantial judgments against them because their pastors have refused to do same-sex marriages. They have marched in the streets of Jerusalem. Marched in the streets of Jerusalem. If you think that Israel is a Torah-keeping nation, you are incorrect. If you think that the, that the Elohim of Israel is Yahweh, you're dead wrong. The six-colored flag exalts a different God. Now, I'm going to make this point very, very clear. The six-colored flag has lifted up the Baphomet and his sovereignty over every place where that flag flies. It has been raised above the Canadian flag in Canada. It has been raised above the U.S. flag when Barack Obama put the six-colored flag on the White House. It has been raised above state flags. It has been raised above city flags. It's been raised above the European flag. It's been raised above the Ukrainian flag. That is a statement of political sovereignty. When you go and conquer a city, you put up a flag. Remember the guys putting up the American flag on Iwo Jima? You know that statue, that famous picture? The putting up the American flag on Iwo Jima? Think about that. That was a statement of American sovereignty over that island. When somebody puts up that six-colored flag, they're stating sovereignty over that political, discrete environment. What does my consensual relationship, how could my consensual relationship affect your marriage? Look how it's affected it. Look how it's affected it. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall ye guard my ordinance that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that ye defile not yourselves therein. For I am Yahweh Elohim. All right. Now, I can tell you, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it to you guys here, okay? When we talk about these kinds of behaviors that are existing in the world, it is right for us to call these behaviors out as sinful. And the people that are engaged in these behaviors must repent. Now, for a lot of people, repentance is very, very difficult, but possible. And I'm not trying to tell anybody, go get in, into some anti-homosexual therapy. I'm just trying to tell you, you have your own wrestling match to do. And this kind of behavior is the kind of thing where, look, in our world today, 
We live in a defiled, demoralized, decadent world that has been completely trashed by Baali worshipers and Baphomet worshipers, completely trashed. It's very difficult for you to be a Sabbath keeper in a world that wants to have you working 24 7, 365. You know, if you go to Israel, they practice the Sabbath in Israel. The government practiced the Sabbath, storekeepers practiced the Sabbath. It used to be in the United States, we used to have what were called Sunday blue laws that most of the United States respected as Sunday Sabbath, but it was quite common to be in jurisdictions where nothing would be open on Sunday, right? You remember these days? Nothing would be open on Sunday and, you know, liquor stores would have to be closed on Sunday and there would be nothing open. Now, it was an incorrect day. It was imposed on us by Rome, but nonetheless, it was a weekly Shabbat. But when you're in a world that doesn't practice the Saturday Sabbath, it's difficult for you to practice the Saturday Sabbath. When you're in a world that is completely defiled, completely demoralized, completely allowing for same-sex relationships, same-sex marriages, polygamous marriages, and more, well, what are you going to do? And, the, and what I'm saying to you is, is that no matter where you are and no matter where you've been, when Yah calls you out and calls you onto his path, follow it. It's difficult for all of us <clears throat> to follow the narrow path. But nonetheless, we're called to do that. David, did you have something you wanted to add here, brother? Did you, did you say David? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I would love to. Uh, I've got two things I was wanting to go uh, with. Uh, with one about the uh, parable of the, uh, of the two brothers in, uh, in Luke. But then I, I, as you were talking about uh, the Torah, uh, I, I, I really came upon Ephesians chapter 2 as a, a, a really uh, direct uh, a direction that exactly addresses that. Now, when the women being silent in the assembly, when that is properly discerned, uh, using Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two and three, that says the woman is the mind of man. Well, get a hold of that. Ephesians chapter two about there is. We are now new creations and the middle wall of partition has been removed and being made of twain, one new man. Now, world is he talking about? He's talking about that in Messiah, in the new man, there is neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. That middle wall of partition has been broken. There's no second grade gender to be shut up that curse that comes with a curse that fell upon mankind and that woman being uh, oppressed like that all over the world is no longer that condition in the new man as a, as that middle wall of partition is is removed that gender is removed and that and if that wholeness is there 
when Yahuwah speaks through that new creation, it's him speaking. It's not man. It's him speaking. Now, that's the dominion that he has uh, demanded to heaven, that by your words, you're justified and by your words, you're condemned. When that double mind is removed, that partition, then who speaks? said he doesn't do anything but what he declares it out of the mouth of his prophets and he says those in messiah yosha have a more sure word of prophecy than any any prophet in the past why because the middle wall of partition is removed when we become single-minded serving the master when now i just dis distributed uh, as we've talked about it from when you were talking about the, the flat earthers and stuff, I distributed through a lot of several people that that really argue their hegemony of their ministry. I think hegemony is a ten dollar word, but anyway, they uh, uh, that uh, is the commandment to not let there be any any division amongst you. Well, how can that be? Well, you have to be of one mind. That's what it says. You need to be of one mind and one shoulder. Well, how can that happen? How are we going to do that? You can't do that. You has to cause that to happen. You have to request that dominion to be manifested in you. You can't just pump it up. You can't just, oh, I'm going to go ahead and strain and do that. That ain't going to happen. You'll take some, that'll be selfish, opinionized, and worthless. So when that, when, when, when that middle wall of partition is, uh, is removed, and that single mind is, uh, uh, you know, the wise answer of the tongue comes from the Lord. And he doesn't do anything but what he declares it out of the mouth of his prophets, which have to be a body on the earth, the body of Adam on the earth. And that uh, uh, Adam, that last Adam, Yosha HaMashiach, is, is come on the earth and has overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is not carnal. It is when that manifests on the earth, dominion happens. His dominion, not, not our dominion. It's not our sovereignty that's being declared. It's his. So when we forfeit our sovereignty as, you know, dying to self, we cast our crown before his throne. We crown him with many crowns. Then it's his sovereignty it's we're, we're under the submission of the high priests forever the living word of Yahuwah made flesh and dwelling amongst us hallelujah i would love to, to say what i have after a little while about uh the luke chapter 15 about the parable of the two sons that is an end time thing I, i'm gonna uh roll it over to you Stephen. I, I really enjoyed you okay david well um I'll, I'll try to come back to you when we get to reading the half the Ra and the best right. we'll come back all right shabbat shalom okay hey felix melissa yes hi um, hey. I to ask hi um i just wanted to ask i and forgive me if I have this wrong, uh, I'd like correction or clarification. Um, you had mentioned um, in one of your, um, the Shabbat um, meeting, uh, you were talking a little bit about, and like I said, I might get it wrong, but like 
you were giving an explanation about either the four pillars or the four corners of the earth being the ellipses, the rotation, the tilt. And then I didn't get the last one. And feel free to correct me if I Well, all right, you're bringing in an interesting question. Okay, so hold on here just a second. Um, Thank you. Let's go to let's go to the whiteboard. We can't we can't avoid that, Melissa. We have to go to the whiteboard, right? Okay. So when we talk about the four pillars of the earth, these are we talked about these last night, and this is from Genesis one fourteen. And in Genesis one fourteen, we see that we have uh, four pillars here who are going that are going to be laid out. One is signs. Seasons Days Years And These are be are to be determined By what The greater light the lesser light and the stars also that's genesis 1:16 so the signs are going to be done, this pillar here is going to be done by the moon cycles. The days are going to be done by the revolutions Of the earth years are done by the orbit of the earth or what Isaiah calls the circuit of the earth circuit of the earth orbit of the earth and the seasons are done by the tilt of the earth. Now, I'm not convinced that the earth was always tilted, but it's tilted now, as far as we can tell. And so the earth's tilt is at an angle of 23 degrees. And we see in this tilt we see in this tilt that this is always pointing to Polaris. And so even as it orbits around the sun, the tilt is always pointed towards Polaris. So here's Polaris out here. Let's see here. Polaris out here. Earth is pointed like this. And it's tilting and it's orbiting around the Earth like this. 
around the sun like this. So it's always pointed towards Polaris, but the sun is fixed here. So when, when the sun is here and we have the tilt here, this is what's called the winter solstice because this is the point when the North Pole is the farthest from the sun. Because it's the farthest from the sun, the South Pole is closest to the sun. Therefore, you would expect to see this section of the Earth, summer, but on this section of the Earth, winter. And that is, in fact, what we do see. Now, as the Earth moves around here, now this disposition has the northern and the, hummus and the southern hemisphere are getting the same amount of daylight and the same amount of night. This is the equinox. And so for us, we have what's called the vernal equinox. But the vernal equinox for us in the South Pole is actually the autumnal equinox. And so this is going to be equal daylight and equal sun. Then it moves around here. At this point, the northern hemisphere is the closest to the sun. Some southern hemisphere is the farthest. We would expect winter here and summer here. But this is where we're coming right now. This is where we're going right now. Because in the southern hemisphere there in South Africa, it's going into winter. We're coming into summer. Okay. And that's the difference of what's going on. And then as it moves around to this side, we have the same thing. So what we see is the four seasons here, because of the tilt, we're going to see uh, something very interesting in the four, the four seasons. Four seasons are dictated by what? The vernal equinox, the summer solstice, the autumnal equinox, and the winter solstice. This is given to us here. This is given to us by given to us by the orbit of the Earth, the Earth's tilt, as the Earth is at a tilt. This gives us the four seasons. Now you have to remember that this four seasons is described in Hebrew as the uh, Moadot. I used to think it was Moadim, but really the Hebrew word there is Moadot, which means can also mean the feast days. Well, the feast days are delivered by season, right? You have a set of feasts that occur in the first month of the year, Aviv, and a set of feasts that occur in the seventh month of the year. One is the spring feast, the other is the fall feast. Unless, of course, you're in South Africa, in which case it's just the opposite. We had a discussion about this. We were talking about the calendar in South Africa, but what is appropriate there? And so the Hillel calendar, or the Halal calendar, rather, which is a calendar that is, begins the first month of the year in the seventh month, is actually accurate for South Africans because that's where the year would really begin. Anywhere south of the equator, it's like that. Now, the signs in the moon, this is a moon cycle, and the signs in the moon here, this is, uh, this, this goes from what's called the conjunction, conjunction, dark moon, covered moon, 
waxes through the cycle to opposition, which is called the full moon, wanes back to the conjunction, dark moon. Now, these are signs in the heavens that are given. These signs in the heavens are given to depict the month. Well, what about the stars? What do the stars do? Well, the stars tell us the hour, the day, the season, and even the year, depending on the location of the stars. So when you see the stars in the heavens, for instance, if you go outside and watch and you were to observe all night, when you're in the northern, when you're in the very part of the northern hemisphere, the very south and southern hemisphere, you can really see these things clearly. It's not so clear when you're closer to the equator. But I can go out on my porch and observe all night and watch the Big Dipper do a complete 360 all the way around Polaris. So when you can come out and you look at the Big Dipper, you see the two bright stars in the Dipper pointing at Polaris. You look at those, when you come out and, and it's over here, well, that's about 7 o'clock at night. But when it's up here, that's about 11 o'clock at night because it moves 23.5 degrees every hour. <clears throat> and it's interesting that it would move 23.5 degrees because that reflects the circumference of the Earth. And you can witness it in the stars at night. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you can watch what's called the Southern Cross. The Southern Cross similarly has two stars below it pointing at the Southern Cross. And the Southern Cross points to due south, due south. And so you can, again, witness these things rotate around due south at different places in the sky at different times of night or day. It's, very, it's quite interesting. Now, of course, the day is going to be in one revolution of the earth. That is to say, it too has a circle. And the circle, the circuit of the earth, is such that we have a starting point. We have a starting point, and we're going to call our starting point here when it goes dark. Because darkness preceded the light in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. So here we see the darkness. And the darkness is going to go and come around and become light. But this is the beginning and the end of the day. Wherever the day begins is also where the day ends. And we see that routinely, day after day after day after day, we have this same kind of circuit. Night into day, night into day, night into day. And this is created by the revolutions of the earth. And the revolutions of the earth then give us the day. But the orbit of the Earth, which we know is 365.25 days. 365, I think it's actually 0.23 is closer to it. It's slightly inordinate. But this is the schema of the year. So as a consequence, every four years, we're required to add a leap year because we've accumulated an extra day. According to the... Gregorian algorithm that's imposed on this. 
But because this is the orbit of the Earth, this is, again, we have a circle, a circuit, if you will, of the Earth, a circuit. And that circuit has some kind of a starting point. Now, the question is when, right? Pope Gregory says the end of the year is December 31st. The Julian calendar put the end at the end of February or March 1st. The solar lunar calendar places the first day in the first day as the dark moon, which precedes the solar equinox when the full moon follows after the vernal equinox. So that's right in here somewhere. But it's variant because it's going to change depending on what the situation is, because the months of the year are given to us by the moon. Months. Seasons are given to us by the tilt. Days are given to us by the revolution of the Earth, and years are given to us by the Earth's orbit. These are, in my opinion, the four pillars. Okay. That answer your question? Yes, thank you so much. Leave that there in case you guys want to screenshot that or anything. Okay. Okay. So with that, let's go back to our Haftarah. And again, you know, when I talk about these things, of course, this is a, a disparate teaching compared to uh, the FE methodology. Because the FE methodology says, hmm, well... We don't necessarily accept that idea, right? We don't necessarily accept that idea. And so as a consequence, we have some problems, right? Hold on just a minute. I gotta get back to my Torah portion here. Is there somewhere? Okay, there we go. Now let me see if I can find it here. Second. There we go. Okay. And again, you know, one of the things that I think is very important for us is that when we have a competing opinion, like Effie, or we have a competing opinion concerning the calendar, it's very important for us to know and understand our opponent's view as well as they understand it, okay? It's important for us to, in fact, this is how we obtain unity in the fellowship, by understanding the opposing view well. If we understand the opposing view well, then we can discuss with them their point of view. And we can assert our own point of view, but we can discuss with them our point of view instead of uh, denouncing it and saying, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I'm not going to listen to another word of it. Well, maybe you should listen to another word of it. Hear them out and hear their whole argument <laughs> and come to know their whole argument. And by doing so, you can respond in kindness and say, well, this is why I disagree with that. Now, I know a lot of people in the FE community 
uh, are convinced that there are many things that uh, NASA has lied to us about. And in my opinion, there's no question that that's what's happened, that NASA has lied to us. However, I don't rely on NASA for either the truth or a lie. Just let NASA go. If you don't believe NASA, let NASA go. Don't look at their stuff. Disregard their references. But you can't see the references of many others going all the way back to Pythagoras and Euclid and Copernicus, Galileo and others who had nothing to do with NASA, who reached conclusions about the condition of the universe and why it looks out the way it does. And of course, in all of these theories that this is how the universe is laid out, we have an idea that some of this is going to readily predict reality better than other ideas. In fact, when, you know, when, when the first idea of the orbit of the planets was predicted, there was problems with the orbits because they couldn't make them work because we were predicting a absolutely perfect 360-degree circle. Only when Copernicus looked at these and discovered that they were elliptic in their size and in their shape did we begin the capability of being able to accurately predict what was going on. And so one of the big tests for me and for the flat earth community is, can you accurately predict, can you accurately predict how long it's going to take me to fly from Johannesburg to Atlanta? Can you accurately predict when a pilot is going to be able to get contact with a control tower? We spoke with Jan, a pilot for um, Emirates, when we were in South Africa, and he said, look, the way that the control towers broadcast, they broadcast right on top of the earth. So you're talking about something that's maybe 60 feet off the soil, and they broadcast, and as a consequence, you cannot hear the tower until you are within two hours of the tower. You can't hear them. You can hear other aircraft that are at 40,000 feet because their broadcast is capable of reaching you. But the broadcast of the tower itself cannot be heard until you're within two hours of the tower because the curvature of the earth blocks the broadcast. Okay, it's a very important point. And uh, our friend, my friend Jan, uh, was very interesting because he told me that when they fly from Seattle to Dubai, I was thinking they flew over Canada and then maybe over Greenland and then down over maybe uh, Norway, and then into Dubai. That's not the route they take at all. They leave Seattle and fly directly over Alaska, and then to just to the left of the North Pole before crossing over all of Russia and Iran to get to Dubai. And so when I learned that that was their path, I told them, why are you guys bothering to stop in Seattle when you can make your main stop here in Anchorage? Now figure it out and have the plane land here not three hours off the flight. We'll see if I can get him into doing that. Okay. Hey, Chris. Chris, how you doing? Shalom, Doc. Very well. Very, very well. well. I thought I was going to talk off. I like to talk off to David because David brings a whole lot of stuff that, that, that I love. Okay. Okay, Chris. Hey, you're, you're in the middle of the power shedding today there, aren't you? Load shedding. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll come back to you, okay? Okay, doc, well, Doc, let, let me actually pose a question to David, because David was talking about something very interesting, and I read in Chanok 15, um, uh, in fact, uh, Charlotte uh, brought it to my attention, um, Chanok 15, verse 3, 
you being spiritual is talking to these uh, these fallen, right? The fallen ones. Uh, maybe we should go from two. Wherefore have you? Oh, have I done something? Okay. Wherefore no, no. have you forsaken the lofty and holy heaven, which endures forever, and have lain with women, and have defiled yourselves with the daughters of men, and have taken yourselves women, have acted like the sons of the earth, and have begotten giants, and you being spiritual, holy, and possessing a life which is eternal, have polluted yourselves with women, and have begotten in carnal blood, and have lusted in the blood of men, and have done as those who are flesh and blood. These, however, die and perish. Therefore have I given to them women, that they may cohabit with them, that sons might be born of them, and that this might be transacted upon the earth. Very interesting that I, that I you know, what we thought about today is what David was talking about. You know, there's no there's no marriage in heaven. Yahusha says that in Matthew 23, where is it? Matthew 22, 30. And uh, in Mark 12, 25, he's, he, you know, he's talking about marriage. He says, well, don't you know that there is no marriage given and taking of, of women in, in heaven? Well, the, you know, so, so therefore there's eternity. So therefore we don't need to procreate because you always live, right? So, so that was quite an interesting thing. Now, the word that got me there, and I'm not, I'm going to stop here because you, if you're still going to go to, um, I don't know if we'll have time, but anyway, if we do have time, the Gospel of John, where he's talking about the Torah portion, he's talking about the, he's, he's talking about the, 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 the talents, right, that you've been given or, or some, you know, have increased in their talents and then some have just hidden it. But, but an interesting word there, he says, um, if I can find it now, um, it's John 7, I believe, and it comes to, oh, and I'm so sorry, I, I, I was trying to, trying to get these things together here. But anyway, it says there, um, it, it, yeah, here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, okay, I'm not going to find it right now. Let me, let me come back to that. Let me come back to that. But there was a word there, transacted. And, and that was very interesting. So, sorry, I, I'm, I'm a little bit off. off the, Go ahead, off. Chris. Make your, make, your, make your point about it. What are, you, what are you trying to say on it? Well, no. What I was just trying to say about that, that specific uh, aspect of life is that there is no, because, we, because of eternal life, there's no giving and taking in, 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 in heaven. Um, now, I know that here on earth, you are bound to a woman and you become one flesh. Um, and, and by the works, the good works of your wife or your husband, you can be changed to believe the eternal um, destination and therefore be roped into this into this uh, eternity, uh, which Yahusha was preaching about called uh, the kingdom. Right? And, and so I was just sort of trying to marry these two facts. 
Um, but I'll come back after David has said something. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, I just I think when you're talking about that, Chris, when we talk about this idea of uh, you know, the flesh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, angels can't have sex. Therefore, there's no possible way that these fallen angels could have had sex with women. But Paul tells us, make sure that you, you, you be careful about who you entertain, because sometimes the people you entertain are actually angels. And so we can see that even in the New Testament, we have a teaching that gives us an idea that angels can manifest themselves in human form. And uh, and there's also discussion about this in the book of Hano too. And so this idea of uh, of uh, giants and so forth, by the way, while I was watching Michael uh, Tellington, Tellington, or Tellinger, Michael Tellinger of South African talking about the evidence of giants in South Africa, which is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the kind of artifacts he's found and footprints that are six feet tall and, you know, on and on and on that are, you know, just enormous, the size of the giants, that these giants were not intended by Yah to be on the earth, but yet these giants came about because of this crazy mix of DNA that came from these fallen ones uh, mm -hmm. in cohabitating with human women. And so, and here we have this passage in our own Torah portion today saying, do not pass your seed through to the Malak, do not pass your seed through to these angels. Don't do it. Because there, this is something that the Canaanites were doing. This is something that the Egyptians were doing, which means that we had giants present there. Now, in addition to that, in addition to giants present, we also had the presence of chimeras, chimeras, which is half human, half this, half human, half that. And so this appears in the mythological record. We say, well, that's just mythology. Well, is it just mythology? Now, given what we know about the genome and having discovered the genome uh, and the fact that the genome can be trans, uh, transgressed, we see now that, in fact, there must have been some kind of DNA manipulation going on in the ancient technology. Now, also, we don't know because, because we had, I think the Bani Elohim, who lived in the pre-Adamic period, had access to and from, you know, if you look at Job 1.6, Job 2.1, it says the Bani Elohim came with Satan. And Yah asked Satan and said, what, what have you been up to? And he says, I've been going to and from the earth and walking back and forth on it. This tells you that the Bani Elohim, they had this ability to go to heaven and back to the earth. Back and forth, they were able to transact. And because they were able to transact like that and to walk to and fro across the earth, they brought to them a, a completely different understanding of technology, a completely a different understanding of the world. And they didn't have the fall that we had with Adam and Hua. Because this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not made available to them. It was made available to Adam and Hua, who were created not to eat of that tree, mm. but who ate of that tree anyway. When they ate of that tree, this light covering that was around them fell away. And when the light covering fell away, they realized, hey, we're naked. And once that happened, they began to clothe themselves because they had lost that aura of light. But we can see here that because this appears to be what's going on, these guys elected to say, hey, you know what? We've been transacting back between heaven and earth. It is time for us to have interface with these human women 
the same way that men are having interface with these human women, which according to what you were talking about earlier, these women were created for the function of procreation. That is to say that Jan knew that death would come into the world. Now, death is a very interesting thing when you think about it, because mankind does not die, but each man does. It's like the leaves of a tree every year, they die, but the tree itself does not. The tree continues. And so we who have the very breath that Yah breathed in the nose of Adam, and we have the very heartbeat that Yah created in Adam, with the very blood that Yah created in Adam, we have this and life continues, although each one of us in our individual capacity are going to die. So this is something interesting that took place and Yah introduced this idea of individualism, if you will, because he expects myriads and myriads of souls in heaven to be occupying with him for eternity. Thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads and a number uncountable of the souls that are beneath the altar in the book of Revelation. I mean, that's how it's spelled out. And so he created us to be in eternal fellowship with him in an independent consciousness. And this is why he couldn't just say, let's have Adam and Eve live forever and there won't be any, any procreation from them. That's two. He decided he wanted billions and billions of independent consciousnesses occupying heaven with him eternally. And so this is what we, we kind of look through this mystery and we see what's happening here. Now, David's point about women, uh, about this uh, wall being torn down, that, that there is all are equal before the cross. There is either Jew nor Yovani. There is neither male or female before the cross. And this is an, an extremely important point because only by that teaching do women come out of a background that was absolutely repressive and oppressive as it is in every other society that does not accrue to this faith and this, and this teaching. Because when you look like, for instance, we've been talking about in the, in the common law class, we've been talking about the right of inheritance. And if you go back and you look carefully at scripture, you'll see the wife does not inherit from the husband. She inherits from her father. She has the right to the inheritance of her father, which is her separate property. And she has the right to her dowry, but she has no inheritance in her husband at all. Mm -hmm. His inheritance goes to his children. If, the, if he has no children, they go to his brothers. If he has no brothers, it goes back to his parents. But the last place it goes to is the wife. And... Uh, which, you know, and then we, when you start to look at, the, at modern law, there's two things that happen in modern law that are anathema to Moshe's Torah. One is, is that we begin to see a push in modern law that women are to inherit of the marital estate. Women are to inherit of the marital estate. That there is no estate that exists in the man separately. He has a separate estate that he may have inherited from his father. But when he creates a marriage, he creates a marital estate and that a woman has a right to inherit that marital estate. That's what the Charter of Freedoms was about under Edward II. That's what the Magna Carta was about under John I. But these things were all about a woman's right to inherit. The second thing that is anathema to Moshe's Torah is William Wilberforce standing up for 24 years in front of the British Parliament and saying slavery is wrong. 
And this was anathema to Moshe's Torah because Moshe talks about a bondservant among the house of Israel, that if a person mm -hmm. falls into debt, <clears throat> they become a bondservant to the person they owe money to, and they are supposed to work for that person. And after seven years, they're supposed to be set free. And if they're not, and if you have, if you as the holder of the bond servant has found a wife for that bond servant and she has children, the wife and the children belong to you. They do not belong to the bond servant. So if the bond servant wants to continue to live with his wife and his children, he has to pierce his ear and remain in your servitude for life. Right. However, non people of the house of Yashrael, non Yashraelim, can be held as chattel property that your children can inherit. Now, if you ever read the decision of uh, Scott, uh, Sanford v. Scott, or the Dred Scott decision, that was written by Justice Taney in the United States, he reflects on that concept that because under the United States doctrine, Black people were three-fifths human. This is declared in the Article One of the United States Constitution, that they're three-fifths human. That particular provision, by the way, has never been overturned. The, the rights of emancipation have been granted. The right to vote has been granted. But that particular passage has never been structurally disaffirmed. And so uh, Tani was saying, well, look, because they're three-fifths human, they're not fully human. Therefore, they can always be held as chattel property pursuant to Moshe's Torah. So we see two things in modernity that go direct. Well, actually, there's three when you count the destruction of the animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice was destroyed by Yah himself when he destroyed the, the last temple and said, no more temple. There's not going to be any more temple, which means there is no more animal sacrifice. But Moshe, Ezekiel says, Moshe gave them bad law. Yeah. Part of that bad law, in my opinion, is slavery, talking about that people can be owned as chattel property. And the other one is that a woman has no right to inherit of the marital estate. Now, these are two things that have been pushed against in modernity. Have these two things that have been pushed against in modernity been anathema to human life? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think David's point about a woman being equal before the cross now becomes something very important. And we can see, Chris, you and I, we both saw women leaders in South Africa leading uh, congregations. Why? Because there was no man there to teach. And the woman was there to teach, and she was there to lead the congregation. Now, with all that being said, uh, women have to be very careful, though, too, because Women in the modern world do not understand the fragility of men. They do not understand the fragility of men. Men are equipped to be breadwinners. That's what they're equipped to do. They're not equipped to be the nurturers of children. They can do it just like as guys, if a guy has his left side of his brain damaged, he can learn to speak with his right side of his brain, but he'll never speak completely well. And, and it's the same way that a man will never be a complete nurturer for children. They can learn a lot of skills and stuff and force themselves, but they will never be the nurturer that a woman is in a relationship. But on the other hand, for a woman to come out and say, I'm going to take the man's job and I'm going to compete. And this is something, by the way, that comes out of hyper-Zionism and Talmudic uh, rabbinicalism, which is that a woman should compete with her husband. A woman should never compete with her husband. You are partners in life, not competitors. When you compete with your husband, 
You're a wicked woman who tears down your own house. That's what you're doing. And, you know, to have somebody tell you, yeah, go smoke some Virginia Slims because you've come a long way, baby. Well, you've come a long way, baby, at what? Tearing down your own house. And so it's very, very important for women to take a look and see. And I'm not saying a woman should not have the profession she desires, but for women generally to take on attack of, we're going to break down a glass ceiling. You know, my daughter came home telling me, we got to get rid of the glass ceiling in Washington. I said, what are you talking about? We've got a woman governor. Both senators in the U.S. Congress are women. 65% of the members of the state legislature are women. 65% of the judges on the bench are women. What glass ceiling are you talking about? What are you talking about? No glass ceiling. There's no glass ceiling. And, you know, so the thing is, is that, but when women attack the ability of a man to make a living, you know, in the, in the early part of the 20th century, the motto in the United States was, pay a man a family wage, okay? Pay a man a family wage that the man could raise the family, that could, the man could pay for the family to be raised, and the woman could stay home and raise the family and take care of the next generation. And instead of that happening, we entered into a war because we practiced socialism for a decade during the 1930s. It bankrupted the country. We had to go into a war in order to rescue it. We went into a war. We put the women to work and the men on the battlefield. And when we came back out, the corporations realized, you know what? We can cut our salaries in half by causing their wives to enter the workplace because we double the supply of employees and the price goes down. When the supply is doubled and the demand is fixed, the price gets cut in half. And for many, many years, the disparity in the wage between men and women was such that every dime that the woman made in the marketplace was taken up in taxation by the federal government, every dime of it. Okay. So we can hear that the corporation, and then when, when it got to the point that the corporations had a demand that was exceeding the workplace that included both men and women, they immediately went to Congress and said, we want to take jobs to Mexico. And when they found out they could get jobs cheaper in China, we want to take jobs in China, all to keep from paying a man a family wage. That's what it was all about, right? It's and it's disorganized. Sorry, Doug. Hey, Chris. I, I just wanted to say, I found this, uh, this piece and it's in Luke uh, 19, where it says uh, from 15, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And that just sort of got me back to, okay, well, what are we, what are we asked to do? Well, I counsel you to buy from me white linen, um, gold refined in fire, I sell, so that you may see. And, and, and you know, that's to the church of Laodicea in, in Revelation 3. But the point is that... Um, that here we have uh, a place of trading. So what is this trading? Well, it's not it's it's not uh, it's not a money trading, but it's a trading of you to do Yah's will, so that you may buy from him all these things without money, as um, as Isaiah says, right? Isaiah fifty-five one to four. So it's like you know. Uh, what, what are we laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven? 
And I think that's 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 the ultimate question. It's not about you know uh, anything else, but your works that lay your that lay treasures in heaven. So it's not dead work. These aren't things to be seen. These aren't things to be noted upon men. These aren't things that are going to be um, you know necessarily uh, lauded upon. These are things that you do in secret so that your so that so that you lay yourselves uh, treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't steal, kill and destroy, <laughs> and steal and 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 destroy them. Right. So um, yeah, that, that's basically what I wanted to uh, culminate this whole thing in is um, is the fact that when when we live uh, when we live in Yah's ways. It's not. It's not about you, me, and myself, and I, and, and 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 it's about how do we do things in Yah's way, so that we can better the kingdom of Yah and give it a good report. Um, anyway, so that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think that's a good word. That that we're here to build the kingdom. We're here, you know, we're, we're temples made without, uh, temple stones made without hands uh, as the body of Mashiach to build the kingdom and, you know, to build new Jerusalem. And we do that. And you're right about that, Chris. When we come and say, well, you're not, you know, it's by, you're not getting into heaven through your works, but you're called to, in the gospels, lay up treasures in heaven. And to lay up treasures in heaven is something that is that must be on our minds and our hearts, something that we do beyond what we do for a living, something that we do that's beyond our accolade in public, because it, it makes no difference what our legacy is in public. There's only one legacy that matters. It's what Yah thinks of you. And that's May I mention that uh, <laughs> Paul or Shaul said that I'm not saying I attain to it. I'm pressing towards the goal. The goal is what? It's an esteemed body. It's not wandering around in some other world. It's an esteemed body. It's changed, transformed to be likened to Mashiach Yahushua's esteemed body, which is, that's the prize. So yeah. when, we hit, when we come to the prize, we see it in the parable that Yahushua spoke in uh, Luke chapter 15, when he starts talking about the two sons. Now, the two sons, uh, it, it, we're going through a long explanation of who they are. We know that the, the Uda is, uh, uh, is a picture of one, uh, one stick, and we know that Ephraim is a picture of the, of the 10 northern uh, tribes that were divorced and lost their identity. And you have done a, 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 actually a a gifted view of where they are, where they went, what's going on. Now, the issue is, is that when we become the, the son that returns home, and that's going to return to the father's house, Ephraim, the 10 northern tribes, this is the northern tribes of Yashrael, that really we see a better, uh, a more in, in, intense view of where we see the five maidens, and then we see the 10 maidens, and then the five maidens, and then, and then I but there's some, uh, they, they, they come harder. So when that happens, <clears throat> what happens when they get the road, when, when, when Ephraim enters in the father's house after all that journey, 
What happens when he gets the robe? What happens when he gets the ring? Well, I know, I'm just saying, I know this, that that's the esteemed body. That's the prize. That is the prize. Now, what's the prize? What happens with the prize? Well, then Yehuda, which has to wait until all that goes on and is out in the field acting like a servant, keeping the law, doing all that Torah stuff and, and, and actually Talmudic stuff and, and can't say his name because it's said that he's taking his name from him. That's right. And Yeremiah. Okay, so what we see now, it's not an accident in the land that it's illegal to say his name out loud. It's, it, it's actually uh, evidence of what the Ua told them. Now, it's not just strange, and it doesn't throw the thing completely out the door. It just says that this is the ditch, ditch that they're in. They've got that homosexuality. They've got the whole the, the Supreme Court doing completely things that are carnal. They want to do away with the relationship to the Torah, which is, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Now, when you look at the parable of the son, when, when Yoda comes up and he's twisted, boy, he's upset. Now, I've stayed around here and I've done all this and done all that. And this old boy, he comes in from the ditch. And so then the father comes out and directly talks to him. Says, now, your brother was dead. You got to get a hold of this. Now, he's getting, impart he's getting an impartation of his problem. And what happens is that remnant of Yehuda is brought into the house. You got you to see that in the parable. And the reconciliation of the two sticks happen. The two sticks become one stick that's talked about in, in Ezekiel. And when that happens, what goes on then? In the flesh, in the body, in an esteemed body, the army of Yahuwah is manifested on the earth. This takes dominion over the fallen man. It does, because it's nothing's going to happen until that completion is done. And when that, if you're talking about you've entertained Malachim unawares, well, one of the reasons why it's not is that a Malachim will manifest in the body of a man. And if you don't understand the difference, you'll understand the difference of who you're hearing, then it just gets blended into all kinds of stuff. But when you get a revelation of that, you're hearing something besides something besides flesh and blood speaking to you out of the body of the mouth of a man which has the dominance there's not anything be happening on the earth without it being in the flesh and blood body of adam the first of the last and that flesh and blood's going to walk this earth now when it walks this earth in the esteemed body after this after the 42 uh, uh months that you spoke of there ain't nothing going to overthrow it because it's going to be flesh uh, of his flesh, bone of his bone, praise Yahuwah, it's going to have dominion. It's going to bring that devil to the pit chained. It's going to put the false prophet and the beast and the fire. And, and it's going to bring the dominion of, of the, of the basura of his reign to bear. And it's going to harvest the, the, the great crowd. And Yahuwah promises that that veil over the great crowd, he'll be, he'll be lifting. Well, that great crowd becomes what? The nations? The nations? They're, right. not nation, they're not nations just dispersed like they are now. 
they have to be in covenant to be a nation. Well, that's his earth. That's his earth. There's nothing left on it, but that with that, with that, and that dominion is in every place. And you've spoken of the places where it's you see the vision of what happened as a, as a type and a shadow, what happened to Britain, what happened to this place, what happened to the Indian nations and on and on. And that didn't come from flesh and blood. You know, when I, when, when I got a, when I got a hold of what he was talking about, asking, you have not because you asked not. And I started talking to these different ministries that are, that oppose one another. Well, this last Shabbat, after I dropped that on one of the biggest opponents that have the, the, the flat earth doctrine, that Shabbat, they came on and started confessing it, confessing being of one mind, asking of being of one mind. And they're talking about not, you know, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans speaks of a division of clergy, clergy and laity. How right. deep does that run? How deep does that run, Stephen? It runs. It, it this thing has divided the body, has divided the assembly, and there's not any divisions in the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that has given you the revelations that you have. It's not Stephen Pigeons. You know that's it's true. Not. That's and, true. And, and hallelujah, because this thing that's coming out. If you look at the at the at, at coming to the house. From the, the the from the, the pig pen, and getting the robe and the ring, it talking about in distress he comes from the house. He comes out of the pig pen because the distress happens to him. Well, that's the overcoming that we all have to overcome. We have to overcome. All those that overcome will walk into this. This is a straight gate and narrow way that only a remnant move into, and we're believing to be the Kodeshim remnant. And he says. Yahuwah is the sovereign of the Kodeshim. He doesn't say it's the sovereign of everything until it happens, but it's the sovereign of the remnant that has the testimony. What is the testimony? It's his testimony. It's his word. It's his breath. Praise Yahuwah. Uh, And we're coming to that. We're coming to that second, that after this, after this great, this look, this, this off the chart, off the chart, come out, the world has taken a turn and you've seen it and you spoke it there in, in South Africa about the time frame. And I'm saying, yeah, that's cool. That's real cool. Now this not the end of the whole thing. It's the first 42 months. The second 42 months is the great distress, but in the great distress, there is a remnant that's robed and ringed. The two sticks are made one stick. Okay. Hallelujah. 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 Um, that's, yeah, yeah. I've got, thank, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Praise your, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, David. Uh, yeah, I want to thank you, you and Chris. Thank you guys for giving this feedback on these issues. It's been outstanding. Okay, guys. So with that, I am going to wrap up our Shabbat meeting for today. I want to thank you guys for all being here. Thank you for being a part of this ministry. And let us continue to pray. Well, I'm going to pray before we go. I want to continue to pray for all of those who are affected by this ministry. and. May our outreach through the World Assembly of Yahweh be continuous and be effective. And may we not be a blemish on the name of Yahweh, but be uh, children of his name, holding his name up in righteousness, that his name might be glorified in us and upon us and through us. Okay? 
All right, let's pray, guys. Let's pray. Barukata Yawa Elohai Yasharel Abinu Olam La Ulam Shema Tehilinu Yawa. Hear our prayers, Father, as we lift them to you now during this Sabbath fellowship, Father. We come together in one voice to lift up the brothers and sisters of this group, Father. Whether present here today or not present, whether those who were here in the past and who will join in the future, Father. May you bestow blessing upon your people who call you our Elohim, and we are your children, Father. Some of us may still be covered with the, the slime of the pigsty, Father, as we come to you now. But we pray that you would cleanse us in your name. That your name would not be brought to nothing in us, but that we would lift it up and that your name would be glorified in us. We pray that you will cleanse us then from these things and restore us into your kingdom. Father, we also pray for the health of all the members of this fellowship and those of our friends and loved ones. Father, may you reverse all the effects of the vaccine in those who call upon your name. You would remove them all, Father. There would be no trace whatsoever of this disease that has been brought on by the wicked Satanists in this world, that you would cleanse the blood which you have not cleansed. We lift that to you in the name of Yahushua. Father, we also pray that you would give us clarity of thought as to our mission and as to what we what we should do, that we would step in accordance with your will, in accordance with your perfect will, and that would be we, we would be willing to be obedient to what you call us to, Father. We give you thanks that you would think of us in calling us to a ministry and to a mission, and that you would even lift us up from the pit that we might be able to do the work of the kingdom. May your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth, Father. As your will is done in heaven, may your will be what is dominant in this earth. May you come to reclaim the land, Father, with your righteousness and to vomit out of the land the wickedness and the unrighteousness. And cast it out, Father, and only restore that which you wish to be here, that the land might be cleansed once again in your name and that your name might be lifted up by the people who are here the people who seek you out to know your testimony and your commands. Father, we praise you for the things you're doing on the earth right now. We ask you to make your face known to us, Father. Make your face known to us that we might see and hear you as you would direct. And to hear our voices of thanksgiving in all that you have done for us. Let us not be people who are unthankful for the things you have done, Father. But people who count their blessings. Giving thanks to you for every little thing every little blessing that has happened in our life by your hand of orchestration, that your name be glorified in even the very smallest details, Father. We praise you for these things, Dame. In, in the name of Yahushua, our Mashiach, we lift this prayer to you now. And we all agreed with an amen and a hallelujah. Hey, guys, I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for a glorious Shabbat today. Thank you, guys. You rescued me from the pit this morning. It was just kind of under the weather. And thank you for being here. And thank you for bringing this to us. So with that, I'm going to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Everyone. I listen to oh, my Thank you. Oh, yeah. Shabbat shalom, family. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.